When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are excited to have Wanda Jackson, Queen of Rockabilly, in the Diddy TV studio today. We're here to talk about her life and also her new book, which is Every Night is a Saturday Night, A Country Girl's Road to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh -huh. Did I get that right? Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, welcome, Wanda. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Appreciate uh, you inviting me. So how did you get started? Uh, you were young when you got your first guitar, right? Yeah, six years old. <laughs> I, I don't think my hand could reach around the neck, really, but my daddy uh, put a guitar in my hands. My mother said uh, Wanda was never the same after the guitar came into her life. <laughs> was it a full-size guitar? Oh, it was a child. Yeah. And probably got it at Sears and Roebuck, you know, and... Um, I, but I learned to play on it, and he was a musician, and he sang and played uh, fiddle and guitar. After I could finally make a few chords, well, every night, you know, back in the years where you didn't have television, <laughs> you had to make your own entertainment. Well, Daddy would play the fiddle and, and maybe sing, and then I'd try to accompany him. So that was my introduction. So were you ever, you played with your father. Did you ever write any music with your father? Later. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't write with him, but he would give me an idea, and uh, then I'd take it. Isn't it right, great to have that connection with a parent? It was, it was, because, uh, yeah, we were very close because of our love of music. And uh, then later, when I began touring, he traveled with me for the first uh, six years. And then after I married, uh, Wendell, my husband, uh, kind of stepped into that role, you know. Traveling with you. Mm -hmm. So you were in high school when you really got started uh, with an actual band. Tell us a little bit about how you got started um, and how you were discovered. I began actually singing for other people. <laughs> um, on radio, and there was a program on called um, Cousin Jay's Country Hour or something, back when radio had news and preaching and weather and news and uh, pop music and gospel music. They just did it all, you know. 
temperature at 8 o'clock, 68 degrees. Humidity, 82%. The expected high today, around 80. The forecast, showers this morning, clearing later in the day. It was during that time this one man had uh, um, an hour. So he'd play country music for 45 minutes, and he dedicated the last 15 to local talent. So you'd go up and try out, and if, he, if you could carry a tune, you know, you could get on. Well, um, I knew about the show, but I didn't ever think about going. But my friends uh, that I went to church with and went to school with, they just dared me and dared me, you know, go up there and try out. You can take your guitar. So I did, and I, I got on. So that was my first little break into music, you know, for, for other people. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how back in the 1950s you could actually know a DJ and the DJ could sort of break your music on radio? You don't really have that so much anymore. No, you've got somebody higher up telling you what you can play. Right. I think, now, more, I think that's the way it goes. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then, a, then a DJ could just, if they liked you and they liked your music, they would just play it. Right, yeah. If you took a record in, they played it for you, and you did a little interview, we'd just stop along the way. My daddy would say, oh, there's the station. We'd run in, this is Wanda, would you like to talk to her? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that was our uh, social media. <laughs> that was about all we had, that in the newspaper. <laughs> so once you were on the radio show, you, um, there was a, you were in a band, right? You, you sort of joined a band when you were in um, high school. I think it was Hank Thompson or? Well, I didn't tour with him okay. because I was in school. But... Um, yeah, I worked with, uh, Hank heard me sing on that little 15-minute, uh, well, actually, I finally got my own program, and he heard that, and uh, he was my very favorite singer. I turned your whole card upside down, I caught you cheating and running around, there's a smile upon your face. While another takes my place, and now at last, dear, the truth I found. So uh, when he called, I nearly fainted, you know, but he asked, uh, could I, would I like to come sing Saturday night with his band? And I said, well, I'd love to, Mr. Thompson, but I'll have to ask my mother. <laughs> he said, well, girl, how old are you? I said, I'm 14. He said, oh, my goodness, and he laughed. But, uh, yeah, we all went up there, and uh, I started singing with him when he was in Oklahoma City, which uh, he lived there then. So, you know, probably every three or four months he would work the Trianon Ballroom. And then a little bit later, somewhere in there, I can't really figure it out, but I worked with another local band uh, in Oklahoma City, Merle Lindsay and the Oklahoma Night Riders. <laughs> and so he did a, a radio show from a, a dance place um, every Saturday. 
it finally, when I started working with him, I found out I couldn't go to the ball games at school because I'd yell, you know, and my voice would be gone the next oh, day. Great. I couldn't sing, so so I gave up going to the ball games. But uh, yeah, I sang with both of those bands. So, what was it about working with such great artists at an early age? What did you learn from them? You practically learn everything you know, you know. When you go back from the people uh, like Hank Thompson, working with him, I could pick his brain and I could watch him. The same with Elvis. And then also with my uh, producer, I learned about recording, do's and don'ts. And I've been recording now, Amy, for... uh, 64 years, I think. Been touring for 62. Wow. Yeah, I still tour today. Hank Thompson used to say something about our jobs. He said, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Well, so. you and I were just having a little discussion back in the green room and and we were talking about the fact that a lot of artists today they don't really have to work to get where they they are as as much as the the um the group of artists that back in the 1950s and even the 60s where you had to pay a lot of dues to get to the next level right you have to come up through the ranks uh you start off you know at a bar maybe if they have a spot for you and then you go to a little larger bar and a dance hall and so forth. But through all of that, you learn uh, how to work a microphone. You know, and sometimes they're horrible sounds. Um, and you learn how to deal with people because uh, they can get pretty rowdy or touchy and pushy. So you learn to handle that. And... Uh, the young artists that don't have that um, ability, you know, I feel sorry for because they they aren't really harnessing in, you know, all that they should be. I'm always hoping they can keep going and they'll eventually learn to really entertain people where you can stand on a stage with a guitar or, or with tracks or something, and actually entertain people when it's just you. But it is kind of funny. Today you can sort of start off right out of the gate famous. Superstars, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't say you really feel sorry for them. After all, they're they're who they are, but and they have talent. They have to, or they wouldn't have made it that big. Right. But... uh, I just think I'd like to see them now in about 15 years, see if they've become an entertainer or not. <laughs> right, and there is there is a difference between an entertainer and, and just a singer, a, a singer mm-hmm. right? Um, big difference. Big difference. And I think people who've had that experience where they've had to, you know, fall flat in front of an audience occasionally. Oh, you I've done that, <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> I've tripped over fiddle wires. <laughs> I backed bet. up too far and hit the drum stand and nearly fall and 
on a on a show not too long ago I made some gesture like I was drowning and leaned over and I just fell. <laughs> so yeah, we we have to. I do fell that. off the front of the stage here one time. I backed up and then fell backwards. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't realize there's no rails there. No, there's a lot on the stage, right? Yeah. When you got this sort of break and you went on a tour, was the Ozark Jubilee? Uh, Ozark Jubilee. So what was? How did you get hooked up with that? And what was that all about? Well, the Ozark Jubilee was the first. Um, country um, music show on network television. Again, friends, a big Saturday night hello from the crossroads of country music. It's time for the Ozark Jubilee, starring America's favorite country gentleman, Red Bowling! And they were out of Springfield, Missouri, which is about 300 miles from my home. And, it, you know, you could drive there in one evening or afternoon. So um, we heard about it. I, I don't really know how I got on it the first time. I can't remember. Yes, sir, Oklahoma City, where they've raised one of the most promising new little girl voices in country music that we've had the pleasure of meeting in a long time. And for the first time on Coast to Coast television, we'd like to have you folks meet and welcome Miss Wanda Jackson right here. You can't have my love. You've got the clothes and everything to make you look just like a king. But you can't, no, you can't have my love. You've got a big automobile and a chauffeur at the wheel. But you can't, no, you can't have my love. Well, you think all you such a popular show because it was the first and about the same period of time the Grand Ole Opry had asked me would I like to join be a, a member of the Grand Ole Opry well I, you know of course growing up I'd listened to that all my life and that was such a, a compliment I think TV is the way the people's gonna go right 
And of course, not knowing Grand Ole Opry would still be around all these years later, but uh, I made the right choice for me, and I decided I would stay there. And uh, because I'm a Westerner, and it just kind of fit my style better. So what was the difference between the music where you were playing in Oklahoma and say that the, in Nashville at that time? Was there a different sound to it? Well, the bands I worked with, as I said, was Hank Thompson's. He had the number one Western swing band in the nation for, I don't know, 10 or something years. So, And I was singing with them, trumpet and uh all the instruments, two steels, two electric guitars, drums, the whole works. And I go to the Grand Ole Opry, and it's nothing, there's no drums even. <laughs> so, so that seems kind of strange, right, from where you're from. From the, from the get-go, yeah. And I don't know if you've heard my story about my way of dressing. <laughs> oh, I want to hear that. Tell me the that Grand story. Grand Ole Opry. Well, I had already, uh, my mother made my clothes, and she was, she was a very good seamstress, a uh, professional one. So uh, I'd been wearing the regular little flared skirts and ruffled blouses and a cowboy hat. You know, I was a young teenager. But all of a sudden here, I was like 16, and I think... I'm covering up my assets with all this. <laughs> too <garb>. much fabric. <laughs> yeah, too much <laughs> fabric. And I didn't dress that way. Like if I went out, I wore tight skirts and a sweater or whatever. But uh, so Mother and I got our heads together and we began designing. Uh, oh, they had rhinestone. I'm more covered up now, you know, than I ever was then. <laughs> but rhinestone straps and. Uh, sweetheart next. Oh, wow. Not, not plunging. And yeah. Not a lot of cleavage. But sexy. just a little, a little sexy. <laughs> it's a little. And then they were tight skirts with the silk fringe and high heels and earrings. And I paved the way for Dolly Parton is what I did. <laughs> well, she took it to another level. Uh, she took it to a yeah, whole new level. By doing all of that, I went to the Grand Ole Opry when they invited me uh, and I, I, I designed a special dress red and white and it was so cute and the little uh, halter neck you know rhinestones so I got there and uh, rehearsed I think but then time for the show I had my guitar on and was standing in the wings ready I knew when I went on. So it was Ernest Tubbs' session, or portion. He came around, he said, uh, are you Wanda Jackson? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, you're on next, honey, right after this song. I said, okay, I'm ready. And he looked at me, he said, well, honey, you, you can't go on the stage of the Opry like that. <laughs> and, you know, I said, like what? said, you can't show your shoulders on the opera. You can't show my shoulders? And uh, <laughs> I said, well, 
Mr. Tubbs, it's all that I brought with, you know, to wear. To wear, right. He said, well, you got about two minutes to cover up or do something or you Find can't a go sweater. <laughs> well, I guess it was in the fall or winter, but I had a little, I'm sure, fake leather, but, mm-hmm. you know, the leather-looking coat with long fringe. So I had to put that on over my new red and white dress and I sat, stood out there trying to sing and I was nearly in tears and behind me the people were I couldn't get their attention on me I kept seeing looking right off and finally I was able to turn around and here was the comedians on the show back there cutting up we call that upstaging, yes, right? Right. <laughs> and no artist wants, when you're singing, you don't want to be upstaged. So, but that's what was going on. So, as soon as I sang my song, I lit out, found my daddy who traveled with me, and I said, Daddy, let's get out of here. I'm never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> who, who knew they were so conservative? You wouldn't know that. I knew they didn't have drums, you know, I right. was prepared for that, <laughs> but not for the rest. So anyway. Not not for a high-necked uh, blouse and uh, yeah. a skirt down to your ankles. Yeah, and long sleeves, you know. Right. So how did you get into the rockabilly uh, sound and, and actually rock and roll? Because... Um, what turned out to be rock and roll. What turned out to be rock and bo- roll. Started as rockabilly, turned out to be rock and roll, and... In the 1950s, when you got started in rock and roll, there really weren't women doing rock and roll. There were only a handful of men doing rock and roll, right? Yeah. So how did, you, how did you get started in rock and roll? Well, it was something I thought I couldn't do. But when I worked with Elvis in 55 and 56 and a little bit in 57, but he was the one that talked to me about it, encouraged me, and convinced me that if if I would just try it, I could sing it. In 1956, I recorded my first one, and it was kind of specially written for me because it was one line of country. If our love's the real thing, where's my wedding ring? And then it goes into rock. Well, I thought that you was a romance, and then it goes on. So uh, that was my breakthrough song. Gotta know if I love the real thing. Where is my wedding ring? Yeah, we rock and roll till the broad daylight. You're a little too pooped to get your baby goodnight. I know you've had it when the rocking is through. I let you go home. What else can I do? I want things. I gotta know. I gotta know. Gotta know if our love's the real thing. Where is my wedding ring? And I recorded it for uh, four, about four years. I did albums, I did singles, and the disc jockeys wouldn't play it. And so then, if the disc jockeys didn't play it, the people couldn't hear it. Right. They couldn't hear it. They won't buy it. You know, they don't know about it. So um, 
the disc jockeys were that important to us. And they just uh, had already had a hard time accepting Elvis doing this kind of wild stuff. They thought it was pretty wild. <laughs> um, so they sure weren't going to help a, a woman. A, a little girl, you know, right. a girl, teenager, singing this stuff and with fringe, flying in high heels, and no, they, you know, not going to have that. So it took till 1960 for me to get my first rock and roll hit. And what was that? Elvis's song. <laughs> Y'all can't hear that, okay? You got that? People like to rock, some people like to roll. Moving and a grooving, gonna satisfy my soul. Let's have a party. Now, the name of your band was... The Party Timers. The Party Timers. Uh -huh, That's yeah. a great name for a band. Yeah, I didn't know till later that Elvis had done that in his movie. You guys know let's have a party? Sure. Yeah. Okay, KFC, let's go. Some people like to rock, some people like to roll. But moving and the groove and gonna satisfy my soul. Let's have a party. Let's have a party. So you make the, the sort of the first big hit, and then the radio finally played the song. And why do you think they played that song? Good question. <laughs> I they never thought did. about it. Yeah, they just did all of a I sudden. I think they said, she's not going to give up, is she? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they, times were changing. Maybe things were getting a little more liberal towards the 60s. So. Well, they had accepted the guys, you know, Elvis and Carl, and they even put Johnny Cash in that class, Elvis had, had told me he predicted that Johnny Cash would be the biggest name in country music had ever seen, you know. I said, oh, I don't think so, Elvis. He's just copying you, you know, <laughs> with the Tennessee, too. And he said, oh, no, 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 you're wrong. But he's going to be huge. So I think Elvis had a sixth sense about some things. I think he did. He uh, at one point he also said uh, that um, Roy Orbison had one of the best voices. And of course, you know there are a lot of people with great voices, but he really admired his voice. Yeah. Well, as he should have. I love you even more than I did before, but darling, what can I do? great artists. Um, I, th I think, you know, there was a lot of collaboration going on then, too, and a lot more exposure to um, other artists, because it was, everyone was touring together. That, that was it, yeah. 
it was nothing for me to work with the poor headliners, and they're all men, and one girl. We were just window dressing, you know. That's about all they thought of us as. And what was it like to tour with all the boys? Well, I think any woman would kind of enjoy that. <laughs> Who wouldn't, right? Well, they were all just my buddies. Of course, I was young, and my daddy was with me, and so, uh, yeah, I was like a little sister. So in the early 1960s, you actually won a, a Grammy as well, right? I had a nomination. Nomination. A couple of nominations, which, you know, I was proud of that, <laughs> whether I won or not, but I've got those little plaques still up on my wall. I'm proud of those. So you were able to sort of transition uh, between rock and country. Um, you, you sang both throughout your career, right? Right, and then I added gospel. That's the thing about my show, you know. I, if it's billed as a rock and roll show or venue or occasion, well, I do mostly the rockabilly. But they always have, I always have country in there, and I always have gospel. So people get an idea of the whole thing that I do, you know, through the years. So sort of fast forward a few years, and there's a resurgence in, in rockabilly, and um, uh, a lot of folks are looking back and saying, you know, how did we get to where, we're, where we are? And you actually started doing some really interesting projects again. Um, in like uh, 2003, you collaborated with uh, Elvis uh, Costello. Oh, it's crying time again you're gonna leave me i can see that i just i kind of wait for somebody to come to me i don't want to go out knocking on doors you know but if they're interested in recording me then they can get in touch with me and uh, that's what this company did and so i was recording and while we were rehearsing, uh, a man, gentleman came in and he, he said, he watched us a while and he said, Wanda, I play drums with Elvis Costello. And, uh, you know, I think he would love to do a song with you and he's going to be out here next week doing a TV show. And I said, well, great, you know, love to. <laughs> so that's how that came about. Uh, and then uh, I was, was going to tell you right quick that uh, <laughs> all the interviews I started doing and with Elvis Costello and then people asked me about Elvis and it seemed like I was always talking about some one of the Elvis. <laughs> my husband would say, oh, no. <laughs> I've got another Elvis in my life. <laughs> <laughs> who knew? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> more than, there's more than one, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, Elvis Costello and I are still good friends. Well, he was instrumental in helping you with your Rock, uh, rock and Roll Hall of Fame nomination, yeah. right? Yeah, very much. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, he was just uh, very put out when he found out realized that I wasn't a member of it. 
And I, I never thought that much about it. You know, I thought, well, I was never a superstar, and I didn't have a string of number one hits. So I won't ever be in that Hall of Fame. Well, he said, you should be. You were the first. And he wrote a pretty stinging letter to the committee and told them, I have a guitar that you guys are wanting for the Rock Hall, but you won't get it until it hangs next to Wanda Jackson's. <laughs> and I think that kind of got things moving. Bruce Springsteen chimed in, and uh, Cindy Lauper and other people. Here to induct Wanda Jackson into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Roseanne Cash. I asked Wanda what she wanted people to know most about her, and she said, number one, I can rock. Number two, number two, I was a lady, and reputations are important. And number three, rock and roll and God are not mutually exclusive. So Wanda, you are now up there with your buddies, Carl, Elvis, Jerry Lee, and Johnny and among so many others of your peers and those who have followed you. You are, as Wendell always introduces you, the first lady of rock and roll and the queen of rockabilly and now a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wanda Jackson. Well, and you, uh, you followed up the Elvis Costello project with a Jack White project. He called you as well, right? He Right. He was the one that called. Was I interested in uh, allowing him to produce a record on me for his uh, Third Man label? And again, after I picked up the phone <laughs> off the floor, I said, yeah, this is Wanda, you know. <laughs> he said, this is Jack White. I, I want to know if you're interested in recording for my company. I said, well, Jack, that's pretty important. Let me think about it. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> so we got busy exchanging songs, and uh, it, it was just a, a great, great time that I had getting to know Jack and getting to work with him and even tour with him. Uh, and we did television together, and he, he was just, he's just a crazy guy. I love him. <laughs> what, was, uh, what were some of the songs you did on that, that album? Uh, the Party Ain't Over. Yeah, that's what Jack wanted to call it. I said, I like that. Well, he had me doing cover songs, which is, is fine, you mm -hmm. know, because when he arranges something, it's not at all like the original. It always sounds different, right? Right, it certainly does. So uh, He's a phenomenal producer. Oh, yeah, and so great. Usually, uh, I would think an entertainer wouldn't make as good a producer as someone who doesn't entertain, maybe. But, I mean, anyway, yeah, he... Uh, he knew exactly what he wanted in that performance from me. And I couldn't rest until I got it. I mean, he'd just keep plugging one more time and just push a little harder. 
Jack, you're trying to get that 18-year-old girl out of me. <laughs> and I'm not there anymore. He said, yeah, she's still in there. We're going to get her out. So uh, working with him was, was great. I, uh, I learned from him also. And the material was very interesting. He, he called Bob Dylan, uh, who sounds like I'm name-dropping, but he, he's kind of a fan of mine. And so he called him and said, Wanda's doing an album for me. What song of yours do you think she should do? And uh, he said, Bob just without a moment's thought said, Oh, Thunder on the Mountain, she's got to do that one. Jack took it and re, you know, we had to shorten it. Uh, Dylan's version was probably 11 minutes long. <laughs> we cut it down. Which is very to, Dylan. To four, yeah, three and a half. And uh, he reworked some of the bridges, and then uh, I worked on bridges. I mean, some of the lyrics, and then I worked on some, so we got it more suited for me. Uh, and then we did uh, I Couldn't Believe. He picked out um, drinking rum and Coca-Cola, an old Andrew sisters song from World War II. And uh, I lived in California uh, when the war was over, you know, and that song just played a lot. And so I knew that song. And uh, I just loved it. And I said, I can't believe you want me to do this. I love it. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun. And he let me do three songs that I wanted to. <laughs> what were the three that you picked? One of Elvis's. I did a yodel song, Blue Yodel, number six, Jimmy Rogers. And uh, Teach Me Tonight, that was one I liked. So we did that one again. Well, it was nice that you were able to pick a few songs that you, that you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was nice of him. <laughs> he's just that kind of guy, though. He, he's a take-charge guy. Well, he, and everything he does is just remarkable. Mm -hmm. he, you know, I think he, so, too. He just is a great producer. And um, he has a way, like you said, of turning everything into something completely different. So it sounds new, even if it was old. He's going to add a new modern twist to it. Yeah, yeah. And what a worker he is. We did a video uh, on Sandra on the Mountain, and it, it must have taken four hours and, and quite a few takes during that time. And that guy, he was all over the place on every one of them. You know, he didn't do the same thing always, but he was just... He was so much fun to work with. He'd come up behind me and 
bump me with his guitar. You know, we had a lot of back and forth. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, you know, he is also someone who really, he, he really is a lover of music, you can tell. Yeah. He yeah. likes the history, um, and uh, he really studied Rips about music. it. Yeah. Yeah. He does know it, that's for sure. And he can play every instrument. So you have a book coming out soon. Yes, I do, finally. <laughs> My fans have asked, when are you going to put out a book of your life? It was finally the right time. Scott Bomar is uh, writing with me. Was it a nice collaboration to work with a writer? It was with Scott. He made it so easy because I'd be, he'd ask me something to lead me in some direction, and I'd start talking. And that would remind me of something else, and I'd jump off on that. And finally, I said to Scott, I'm sorry, but I keep jumping off on other things. He said, that's all right. I said, I'll, I'll straighten it all out later. The title of the book is uh, Every Night is Saturday Night, because that's the way it feels to me. I'm there to see the people have fun and hear the songs they want to hear. And then the subtitle is A Country Girl's Journey to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> that is a great title for a book. It, isn't it, though? I, I didn't think that up, but I liked it very much. I think it really says a lot about you and, and your career. And you have so many wonderful stories to tell. <laughs> that was such a great time period to, to get started in the music business. Yeah, it was. I, I feel very fortunate. Uh, I think I got the best years, some of the best years that America ever offered to anybody. I just... So are we going to hear some surprises if we go buy the book? Are, we gonna, are there some surprises in there about your life? Probably. <laughs> I bet there are. Uh, not at liberty to say. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. We, everyone has to go buy the book to find out a little more. Yeah. Uh, Scott is a great writer, and uh, he took all my stories and my whole life and got it in chronological order and just wrote it so beautifully. Even I was turning the pages <laughs> like, it's my life, and I'm saying, how did he do this? Oh, that's great. Let me see what. <laughs> It goes on and on, so I think we'll be, I'll be very proud of it. Well, I, I can't wait to, I can't wait to read it. Um, like I said, uh, when we were back in the green room, that you've been one of my uh, music heroes uh, since, uh, since I was much younger. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, it's, it's just an honor to, to meet you and to meet you in person. Oh, well, and thank you, sweetie. Appreciate that. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, I just wanted to um, thank you for stopping by Diddy TV today. Um, and I just wanted to ask you one last question, which is, if you could give some advice to a young person starting in music today, what would your advice be? Well, uh, Amy, things have changed so much from when I got started that I'm I mean, you find talent everywhere, right? Right. You never know. I always sang because I loved it, but it didn't matter if it was for 
20 people or 200, uh, that you've got to have that love in you. So I kind of tell young people, if you can find anything else that rings your bell, you might should do it. But if entertaining and singing consumes you, then go for it and just make it happen. You might get a detour, whether it's college or you have to take a job somewhere. You've got your goals out there and you keep coming back to it. So uh, I just wish them the best of luck. It's great to be able to make your living your whole life doing what you love. Well, thank you so much for coming to the studio. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Wanda Jackson. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.